Hello, hello, Dime and Dish episode eight. Wow. <laughs> we made it. We're racking so these ten. episodes up. Ten is going to be a big deal. Yeah, we're going to throw a get party. To, get to double digits, Zoom, but... Zoom party. Maybe we'll have a live audience for episode ten. I do think outside of every, th- every episode that we've done up to this point, maybe aside from when we had the NBA Finals podcast or anything like that, I think we might have the most news here. You know, we had a oh, few dry spells there when we were pre-bubble and different things like that. But as far as everything that's happened in even the last 72 hours, I oh, think yeah. this is going to be a big NBA podcast, but it's, it's going to be exciting. So we got a lot to talk about and interesting things about teams changing and sometimes the off season is much more telling than performance in the regular season which is kind of cool oh yeah off season especially for the Suns in the past few years has been like the, our equivalent of the nba finals it's just very interesting but uh sorry to anyone here for nfl or you know mlb news because that's just not going to happen this episode it's just this is nba talk we are going to yes. just break down what the hell has been happening in the past <laughs> five days in the NBA so it is interesting we kind of brought it up there but I think I was just thinking about you know who has the most interesting offseason who's watched the most and I really think it might be basketball as far as how it's watched I think it's interesting NBA unlike other sports has that whole social media dynamic you know you always hear, hear NBA Twitter and of course there is Twitter for the NFL and stuff but the social media and talk that surrounds the NFL or sorry, the NBA, the story is almost bigger than the sport, which I find quite interesting. Oh yeah. No. And it's definitely changed over year over the years. I mean, now it's got to the point in the NBA where if you're a big time player, you can demand a trade, you know, back yeah. in the day you were drafted by a team and likely you would spend almost your entire career there. And maybe mm-hmm. they would trade you towards the end of your career or if someone really new and enticing, you know, was on the market, yeah. but but now it's just like, you know, we saw it with Anthony Davis. That was just that just showed that if you are good enough, you can force your way off your team if you're unhappy, which is right. moves us into briefly one bit of news is that and it's not news, but you know, it's it's plausible <laughs> news, and that's the James Harden wanting to request a trade to the Nets. Yeah. And now you can yeah. do, you couldn't do that in the past. Yeah, I think my first thing on that, even before I, I talk James Harden is I think a lot of that is almost credit to LeBron. He's really started this player empowerment movement. I think for so long, it was always a top-down structure of the hierarchy of power within the NFL was obviously with the owners. Then would go to GMs and the players were just kind of seen as an object that was there. And this was a business and they just happened to be employees for that. But I think what started to happen, and I think social media played a large role in this, is that it's not the owners that control the league. You know, it's the players that all of a sudden now control their own destiny. And I think a big part of this was as advertising became a bigger role in there, then players were able to take on these different sponsorships and different things like that, that then allowed them the opportunity to take less money or something like that. And I think when LeBron went to Miami, it was one of the most hated moves and still the way the decision as it was called was orchestrated still gets a lot of kind of flack for that as I think the optics of it probably should a little bit, but as far as allowing to choose your own destiny, and then everyone else following suit. So the next big, big one was then Kevin Durant. And now players like Kyrie did it when he's unhappy. And 
personally, I like it. I think this, I am all for player empowerment. I think because they are in the league for such a short amount of time, you should try your best to get on the team. You know, I have my thing against maybe super teams, but I don't want you to feel stuck somewhere. And I don't know. I, I like player empowerment in general. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. You know, obviously I like player empowerment empowerment in the sense that I like when they speak up. I like when they talk about, you know, things that maybe they're not happy with the organization. But from a fan of a small market team, you know, that yeah. has little power in terms of, you know, collecting stars. And right. it's hard in free agency. And so when you land a star um, and maybe you have a few bad years and the star grows frustrated with the team and now they can basically force their way out when they're unhappy that's tough because instead of giving your organization the time to build around you you want to go to Mm -hmm. a win now team and that's how these big market teams like the lakers the clippers the nets you know they can build these teams because players who are unhappy just want to go to the market where they think they can win and they can who can afford to build a team immediately around them so now that's sort of that's left teams you know who are like the small market teams like uh, Minnesota or you know the Kings they've kind of left them in a stage of limbo where they'll get a star player like a you know a DeMarcus Cousins or you know in the case of the Pelicans Anthony Davis and yeah instead of being patient enough to let them build around you you request a trade and boom that team is just left in limbo for further and so that's how you get teams with you know 10 seasons of no playoffs because yeah they build stars oftentimes it's mismanagement you know but sometimes mm-hmm. it's also the stars just aren't willing to wait they they want to go to the window and i don't blame them you know i don't blame mm-hmm. them but it's just yeah. the way it's structured is kind of unfortunate for those small markets yeah i think what's hard and we see the milwaukee bucks going through it right now and generally the process is you'll get this absolute generational at least for your organization star in Giannis's type this is a generational player and you'll go and they'll be on their usually four-year rookie deal and you'll kind of groom them the first few years and they become the best player that they possibly can be and then that fourth year because you're worried that they're going to exercise that player option become an unrestricted free agent you then have to throw all your chips on the table and we've seen this in the past 72 hours with if you saw that drew holiday trade to the milwaukee bucks it looked like the anthony davis trade as far as assets that were involved of course they weren't that kind of elite of assets that we saw with Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram and different things like that. But you have to just do everything you possibly can. And I do think we'll talk a little bit of Bucks basketball here because I think they're in a pretty good position right now. But as far as throwing all your chips in the middle of the table, and then what happens if Giannis plays and they don't win the chip and suppose he then leaves? That just leaves the organization high and dry because they just threw all their draft picks away because it's a win now situation and i think that's just a really hard formula because the small market teams all of a sudden create this one year window where it is all or nothing and i think that's a tough position to be in it's tried to be mitigated with the supermax but there's really i don't see a way to really really fix it and even a supermax like we've seen players reject supermax deals yes because they don't want to stay So, yeah, exactly. And so the Supermax, you're seeing, you know, players be willing to accept less money because they'd rather play and win. And so that Supermax, while, you know, in essence, it it sounds like it would be a good way to incentivize players to stay with their 
you know, their organization. Yeah. But, and oftentimes teams now are putting up like a jeopardizing fiscal situation where they have to offer the super max. So they have to restructure yeah. their roster, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to afford that super max. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. No, it's, it's a lot of money. I think Giannis is up for his supermax is going to be about 230 million, might be 228. Uh, and if he doesn't and goes elsewhere, it's going to be, I think, 148. Anyway, you slice it, it is a ton of money. It's fine. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting back to how we started. So player empowerment. Now players have the opportunity if they feel disgruntled, if they don't like where the organization's going, they can force their way out. And as this conversation started, I do think we have to start with the Rockets. And even before we talk that trade, we should probably talk about what on earth is happening to the Rockets. Cause it sounds like both Russ and James Harden really want out of there. So we should probably start there and just figure out I mean, it started and kind of ended, I guess you could say, in in the bubble as well. You know, it didn't seem like James Harden and Russ, it was very, it ebb and flowed. So they would have fantastic nights when they were able to share the ball. Oftentimes they were put in in different units and different things like that. But in the end, I mean, what I'm kind of getting at is James Harden, I think, is a really hard player to play with. Because if you look throughout history, how it's been, you know, I don't want to look back as OKC days. He wasn't really James Harden yet, but he, when he got Chris Paul, all of a sudden Chris Paul was seen as a scapegoat. Now you get Russell Westbrook and now we see the same thing again. So it almost really comes down to James Harden, I think. And that's not degrading his really style or anything. I just think he is a player that is extremely ball centric and might be hard to play with. Yeah, I've been saying for quite a while that I think James Harden may be the hardest person to pair star with because yeah. he needs the ball 90% of the time that the, you know, the team, the Rockets have yeah. possession 90% of the time, it's going to be in James Harden's hands. Right. And you know, he's never been a pass first guy. He's no. always shoot first. And so that, that makes it hard. You know, you need star players who can divvy up the possession and that way, you know, come fourth quarter and crunch time, you know, you have, multiple threats you the defenses don't know who to key in on like who who's going to be the one taking the fourth quarter shot everyone has known for years that james harden yeah. whatever team he's on but you see teams like the warriors you see clay and steph they split mm-hmm. possession of the ball i mean clay or um steph is ball dominant but he also is pass first you know he's not right. afraid to shoot he's not afraid to pass and because you know he's not going to be you know, ISOing at the top of the three-point line, everyone else who's open becomes a threat as well. So they can space offenses better. James Harden, he's he's ISOing 70% of the time he has the ball. And so that's hard. And so you see players, you know, it, it may work on a team where James Harden is the only star guard. Who knows? We, we've seen that Rockets have some good years with James Harden basically being the only star guard. But we've also seen, you know, players like Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook who have struggled because they are also guard or ball dominant. And so when you have two ball dominant, like contentious styles of play, it's hard to pair up with James Harden. So I, you know, that's why, you know, if he forced his way into the nets, it'd be extremely yeah. interesting because KD <laughs> and Kyrie are both ball dominant. I, we haven't yeah. even seen them play together. Now you had mm-hmm. James Harden and I don't know. If yeah. You, I don't, 
I think it would be really, really rough because I mean, I think what, what you kind of touched on there, as far as him needing the ball 90% of the time, I think what Mike D'Antoni ran into was how can you tell him not to have the ball when he's going for 45 a night? You know, he had the streak of so long of averaging 30 and I just don't, he has to be with like a down low post playing big that will dish him the ball. I can't see him playing with another player that needs the ball so much. And I think this was what was always said with Russell Westbrook. And I do worry about the Nets thing, even on top of you mentioned Kyrie's ball dominant, Kevin Durant is ball dominant. Although Kevin Durant can actually play off the ball too, because he's like, can just shoot it from anywhere and doesn't even have to dribble. Yeah. Yeah. So we have that, but on top of that, we run into the personality thing. If you want to take the top five, I, I don't know the best way to describe their personality, but just a parent personality that can occasionally be said to be hard to play with. I guess that's probably the best way to word that. I think James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant would be on that list. These are people that, as far as their public appearance, have shown themselves to be slightly more sensitive mainly Durant in that aspect, but Kyrie Irving has said some crazy things. And out of them, I also don't know who the clear leader would be. And that's what I'm not sure about. And I think this is something that is still a question mark. You know, is Steve Nash going to assume that role of being the clear cut leader on that team? You know, sometimes it is the coach that is uh, spearheading that, but I don't really see it being uh, Kevin Durant. You know, even when he's been the top guy, it was always kind of Steph's team. And it was Russell Westbrook was always the heartbeat of that organization. I think he was more so the leader. Kyrie has not proven himself to necessarily be a fantastic leader to put things lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him be on the Cavs playing under LeBron. And he said, I want to take the, my career into my own hands. I want to be one a on a championship team. And the Celtics kind of imploded with him and no one really believed in him. And Harden isn't much of a leader necessarily. He usually leads by action and generally by giving you 50 points, but I'm just not sure the personalities would work. And then you mentioned obviously the ball dominant nature of those players. I just don't see it working. Yeah. Speaking to Kyrie briefly, I mean, he struggled on Boston to be a leader. They, you know, yeah. it, It was really indicative. I think of his, true nature i think he's a fantastic point guard and i think yeah probably the, one of the best has to be a leader is when he's best you know when right. he can just let his game do the talking and not cause you know drama in the locker room you know Cavs, Kyrie was the best Kyrie, obviously we've ever seen boston yeah. his off court drama got to his head the city yeah. began eventually came to somewhat resent him and so that made his game I mean, he still played incredibly, but they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't win the postseason. They arguably had the most talent in the East with Kyrie on that. Certainly, team. I mean, and they did better when he wasn't playing in the postseason. That was Jason Tatum's rookie year. And Tatum's you know, year, yeah, right. That that's when that team took over, and I think that's really when they lost confidence in Kyrie because they're thinking, you know, we we made it to Eastern Conference Finals, and I, did they bring the Cavs to a Game Seven? I think they did. They pushed them six or seven and they pushed him and they're thinking, you know, you know, why do we even need Kyrie? And I think Kyrie's kind of his own man and went out and charted his own path. So I don't see that working. I think obviously they'd 
just because of the pure talent on that team, they'd have to be in the playoffs, obviously. And they'd probably be a top team there. But I can't see them knocking down someone like the Bucks or someone like that. You just feel that with all the talent there, they'd have to be in the playoffs, but you don't know how far they'd actually go. There's Yeah, there's a huge difference between a playoff team and a contender. And, mm-hmm. and even if you're a high seed, that doesn't mean – because it's a totally different, you know, beast when it comes to, you know, postseason. You can make yeah. the postseason by having a good regular season just based off skill, being the better team every night. But once you get to postseason, it's a mentality. You know, the Heat arguably right. were not the most talented team in the East. Actually, they weren't the most talented team in the East mm-hmm. this year. They were not. They were several. The Celtics were better than them on paper. Right. They were a mid-tier Bucks, team going in the playoffs. Yeah. They, they weren't even – like people didn't think they were going to be in the playoffs in the beginning of the season before the season right. even started. Right. But it's that – playing with a chip on your shoulder, playing aggressive basketball, playing cohesively mm-hmm. that worked so well for them. Right. So. And ultimately, you know, everyone is a fantastic team. Uh, once you get down to the final four teams or so, and now it comes to, you know, how good is that team chemistry? And oftentimes that's spearheaded by how good is the leader on your team? I mean, and I think that's something that's, you're only as good as your strongest and weakest link. And so, once you get to the yeah. postseason, you need to have a good bench where your 12th man on your team can still play good minutes. And you yeah. have to have your best guy be your leader. And that's mm-hmm. what we saw, you know, with LeBron and AD. And that's what the Lakers bench was questionable at times. But even then, they were still competitive every night. And so, yeah. yeah so. I mean, I think what it always usually comes down to, and I think this is one of the reasons that I admire LeBron so much is how much can you elevate the talent on your team? You know, can you make it so the team is greater than the sum of its parts? And I think LeBron better than really anyone else has been able to create that atmosphere. He takes players that are mid-level players and turns them into stars, all-stars. And we've seen that with Kyrie Irving. We saw that with Tristan Thompson. Kevin Love had some of his best years winning Cleveland. Although Kevin Love's a baller in his own. He did great with Minnesota as well. Those those 2020 (laughs) games, those 30, he had a 30-30 game, didn't he, in Minnesota? Something crazy. Yeah, probably. That that, that is one small tangent. Do you think Kevin Durant on the Cavs is better or Kevin Durant on Minnesota? What do you think is more telling of his, what did I say? Durant. (laughs) Durant. Too many Kevins in the league. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think back on. Kevin Love, Minnesota was the better player. Chunky Kevin Love was the best Kevin Love. Okay. Pre blow up. Yeah, when he was chunky with the chin strap, that was his. Be- those were his best days because he put <laughs> in the paint. Once he got to the clock, to the Cavs and he slimmed down, he became more of a perimeter mm-hmm. player and a role player. So he still was lights out, still really good defensively, still really good shooting, really smart. So from a standpoint of of smart basketball, the Cavs mm-hmm. were his best years. He he played his smartest basketball, but he played his best basketball in Minnesota when he was chunky. Yeah. He, he was getting 20 boards a night easily. He was shooting. He was dunking. Those were those were the big, big boy Kevin Love. Yeah. Was mine. But I love Kevin Love. You know that. Yeah. I mean, that's also telling of who LeBron likes to play with is just smart basketball players. And he really values the IQ that players yeah. have. And I think that's why him and Kevin Love work so well, because LeBron is in such an atmosphere above everyone else as far as basketball iq you know i think the best ones out there is probably him rondo chris paul likely oh we're gonna talk chris paul 
you bet you can bet yourself that um so yeah i think that's something that lebron does well but it has to do with elevating your team and i think people that can elevate their team i think lebron does the best job i think steph is certainly undervalued when it comes to this to have a draymond steph made draymond an all-star and he's not an all-star on his own you saw what it is draymond draymond led team he's terrible he's (laughs) terrible when he's the star player but steph made him great Mm -hmm. yeah i mean steph made him an arguable hall of famer yeah you know i think if draymond gets back to where he might have been although i don't really see that happening i mean he could go into the hall of fame yeah i hope not i think i think that's (laughs) draymond on literally any other team and i don't think he was like i don't know like I, i i like draymond as a player i like that he plays with energy but he's he's not He's not the Rodman that he thinks he is. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, he got defensive player of the year, all-star selections. I like, I I appreciate any player that hustles and, and, you know, can chase down and then, you know, take the fast break dunk. And I I like shit talkers too. And he's, he's good at that too, Mm -hmm. but yeah, sometimes they need to be humbled a little bit. And I think last (laughs) season humbled him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, you just mentioned people that go all out on every single play and and enjoy to watch. And I think that probably brings us back to Russell Westbrook. As far as what do you think? He obviously wants out too. The thing that I struggle with Westbrook the most is we know who he is as a player. He'll give you 110% every single night, you know, Tuesday night in Memphis. He's going all out and treating it like a playoff game. But we, he's proven himself not so much to be able to lead a team over the edge, you know, and he hasn't had great playoff success except for when he's really young. And I just don't know. I can't think of a team that he would really – that really needs them or that would really push them over the edge. I think he's at his best when there aren't that many fantastic players around. He can go all out, but that's not a championship team. I don't see where he works. Yeah, I, I would have to. I, I have to think about it because, you know, at first I thought of like you know Dallas maybe, but then you think Luca is a better James Harden. I think Luca will be a better James Harden, but they, their play styles are a little similar. Luca's a better passer, um, yeah, better, better rebounder. Um, but he is sort of that. He's also that ball dominant. And Russell Westbrook needs to be needs to be ball dominant, but he can still you know be pass first as well. So he needs at least like probably fifty percent of the the share of the ball um and he yeah i just don't think he matches like the modern nba because he's not a three-point shooter anymore and he's proved himself to be that so i just i don't know he'll find somewhere i mean i see him getting shipped off before james harden james harden still has two years left on his deal and unless the rockets get great offer for james harden they have no reason to really let him go yeah no, I, I, they're, 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 and they're just going to play the waiting game until they get a fantastic offer. They can't refuse that being yeah. said, you know, maybe Russell Westbrook, I know that, that he's been included in discussions with the Knicks and a team where he can just basically be yeah. under helm, lead some young guys. Um, not when it, not, not be a playoff team, not win a championship, but you know, yeah. I guess that'd be good. Get, get get the bright lights on him. You know, he does yeah. not shy down from any moment and just breathe some life into the Knicks organization because they are currently dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Should, I, we talk, 
Should we talk some other uh, other NBA? I think we should. The biggest thing that we're going to want to talk about, and I think this is the biggest thing for you, I think it is time that we talk about that little basketball team down in Phoenix, what, what they've been up to. So as far as overall thoughts on everything that went mm-hmm. on, you know, as, as a diehard Suns fan, mm-hmm. what's your, what are you feeling? I could spend about an hour and a half discussing this, but for everyone's sake, <laughs> condense it into the three notable moves of the off season. Yeah. Let's talk about it. First, Chris Paul. Yes. Man, it hurt to see Kelly Oubre walk out those doors and leave Phoenix because he wanted to stay. I have so much respect for him because he instilled a culture of competitiveness, of swagger. You know, he, yeah. he really made Phoenix, you know, the team it is right now. So right. I have so much, Ricky Rubio, also I'm really happy to see him back in Minnesota. And yeah. as long as he's happy, I'm happy. So I'm yes. very thankful for those guys. That being said, I have to I have to be honest with you. When I first got the you know the potential that Chris Paul would be joining the Suns, I was like, "Yo, what the hell are we doing?" Like, thirty five years old, we have a team of young players, you know. But then I thought about it, and I what really I think makes this a genius move is that Devin Booker is a player that the Suns cannot afford to lose. He is a generational talent. He may be. He may end up being the best shooting guard in the league in the next few years. Yes. So the Suns need to win. We need to be a playoff team. We need to yes. be a playoff team so that we incentivize Booker. We show him that we're committed to keeping him here and building a winning team around him. Now, yes. bringing Chris Paul. Chris Paul is top five point guard of all time. He is point god. He is a pass first. Uh, point guard who plays great defense clutch in the fourth quarter and now he's going to be such a fantastic mentor for Devin Booker and I think what most importantly he's going to do is he's going to help develop DeAndre Ayton we saw what he did with Blake Griffin we saw what he did with DeAndre Jordan he took two of those guys and made their game you know all-star worthy Blake Griffin obviously is really talented and but he made DeAndre Jordan an all-star caliber player yeah a first team yeah. caliber player. Yes. And so imagine what he's going to do for Aiton, who first pick in the draft already, you know, putting up really good numbers, really consistent. But his yeah. biggest, my biggest gripe with Aiton is that he's lazy and that he doesn't play like he's seven foot with a seven, six wingspan. So right. like Chris Paul is going to mentor him. He's going to, you know, honestly, I hope he pisses Aiton off day one. Yeah, that's the best thing that could happen. A pissed off Aiden will be the best thing for the Suns, and so he's yeah. gonna he's gonna bring. And also, what he also does is in the fourth quarter, now you don't know if the ball is gonna be in Chris Paul's hands or Devin Booker. In the past, it right. was just Devin Booker. He, Both defenses still books clutch as hell. Like even yeah. trying to double team him, obviously we saw with the Clippers, that doesn't work. But now it's right. who the hell is taking the fourth quarter shot, Booker or Chris Paul? Like that's great. Mm-hmm. Next move. This one is, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about draft night, Jalen Smith, 10th overall pick. The second I saw the pick, I said, who? Who (laughs) I texted you. Who? (laughs) Yeah. I said, who the hell is Jalen Smith? Yeah. I still don't, I'm still not fully, you know, in love with this pick. Uh, I personally would have taken Tyrese Halliburton, who was probably the top five prospect 
Um, went to the Kings, who I think steal the draft. But okay. I thought we were going to go for the you know the backup guard for Chris Paul, maybe our point guard of the future behind Chris Paul. Yeah. But again, we went for the win now. Mm-hmm. Drafting Jalen Smith, who is a three and D big man who can you know block shots. He had incredible block numbers. He can shoot the three from like thirty six percent, which from a center power forward is great. So we got a right. we got a guy who can play clutch minutes end of the game who can play great defense who's a threat on offense who can help space so that's fine i'm okay with that yeah so i think mm-hmm. that i don't think it was a bad choice so i'm, I'm okay with that last move yeah. today i think is the second smartest move is trading or signing jay crowder you got a dog that man is a dog for sure you know i hated i've always hated playing against jay crowder because yeah He's like that, what we mentioned with Draymond. He's the guy who hustles every play. Plays. He's better on offense than, than Draymond. He can shoot the, the three ball extremely well. He plays great defense. So now we're building this wing depth. I would still like to see maybe some more depth at the point guard position. Um, we have Cameron Payne, who played really well in the bubble. But, yeah, you know, we have Javon you know, Carter, who is, you know, a little bulldog. He, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. But I think yeah. the Suns are in a fantastic position to be. I I would be surprised if we weren't a playoff team. I'd be surprised if we weren't a top six seed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think the Suns have done some fantastic things for themselves. And I think I do want to break apart some things that you said that we should get into. I think the first thing you talked about is obviously this whole Chris Paul trade. And the first thing that went through my head there was I worry about injuries with Chris Paul you know I think last year was an anomaly and because he stayed healthy for so long and I think that was such a big deal and we see what he can do so that was kind of what I saw as the con side of it but then there were two pros on that the first one was even when Chris Paul's not playing him being such a pure point guard and being such a leader he can elevate that team even if he's not on the floor so worst case scenario he gets hurt you're obviously paying him a lot of money, but he's still being such a good leader for these guys. And if you look at the talent that was on OKC's team, it is nowhere near the talent that is on the Suns team and the level that they took them to, they were, what was it? Six in the West, right? Yeah. If he can take them there and just do some semblance of that with the Suns, they could be unbelievable. Yeah. And one other thing that you did mention there that I do want to touch upon is you talked about the fourth quarter and who's going to be kind of on it. I do wonder if that could almost be a con if you don't know who your fourth quarter guy is, because sometimes that's confusing. You know, we saw that with a lot, a lot of teams, even the Rockets for a little bit is Russell Westbrook going to close is James Harden going to close. And sometimes that can confuse teams. So do you worry about it being, we don't know our identity in the fourth, you know, a close game is Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Are they trying to see who's taking Mm -hmm. over or is it, it's a matter I think of which Chris Paul are we going to get? Are we going to get kind of that Clippers Chris Paul where he knows that he's the man, or is he going to be able to take that step back, defer the ball and purely work on, you know, rising this team up, which I would hope for, and I think the precedent of him being on OKC kind of warrants that thinking. But that that is something that I do worry about a little bit. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Is that I think OKC is a testament that he's willing to. Mm-hmm. He, he's just not. He's at the point of his career where he doesn't need to be the man on the team. I think he came to yeah. Phoenix knowing damn well that De- this is Devin Booker's team. It is Booker's team. He's the man in Phoenix, but mm-hmm. he's going to do everything in his power to make this team better. I don't yeah. think that I still think Devin Booker will be the one with the ball in the fourth quarter. That yeah, being okay. said, I think having the option is so powerful though, because right. from a defensive perspective, maybe Booker's having an off night. So they huddle. Yeah. There's a minute and a half left in the game, tie game. They huddle and they say, all right, Chris, it's your time. You know, book books, not having his night. Chris Paul, CP three time to be point. God take over. Yeah. Having yeah. that option is fantastic. You know, in the past, but I mean, Booker's so young and mm-hmm. the poor guy has been burdened with literally carrying. He's been carrying yeah. this organization for the past four or five years. Right now, taking some of the load off of him, off his shoulders is going to make, I think his game hit the next level. I think having it so that he doesn't have to play point guard and shooting guard. We saw last year, Ricky Rubio did wonders for this team. Ricky Rubio played a huge role on our team hitting the next level, being the 8-0 bubble sons. It's because when Book doesn't have to play point guard and shooting guard simultaneously, it spaces the floor. He's always been a better catch and shoot player than a spot up shooter. Um, yeah. But having the option to do both is nice. Instead of having to make your own shots, every single play, we saw his dip, his, his three pointer dip, you know, two, three years ago when it was like, who the hell is even running point guard for the Suns? And so yeah. now with Chris Paul passing to Aiden, passing to, we have Cam Johnson who can shoot passing to Mikel Bridges, passing to Jay Crowder, passing to Booker, like, Spacing in the modern NBA is the most important thing to success. We saw that with right. the Heat. The Heat could space the floor. That's why they made the playoffs. That's why they made the deep run is because Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, all of them could shoot. So when you yeah. have that and you have a center who can play outside and inside, play good defense, get rebounds, then you're set. And so with Chris Paul under helm, like you said, worst case scenario, him getting hurt, I think his presence in the locker room is more important than even his presence on the court. Yeah. I think one thing that you had touched upon there, which is very important as far as you, we mentioned the presence Chris balls on the court. And the last thing you kind of mentioned was that draft pick that, that really instilled in you this idea that this is a win now situation. And to me, my first point was, why? Why necessarily do we need that? You know, at its best right now, what we have altogether is, I think, probably a fifth seed in the West, which is fantastic. But I was kind of questioning, you know, why are we pushing for it now? And I, I'd questioned that for a while, but then I remembered back when Paul Pierce, our all-time favorite analyst, said that, <laughs> I'm messing with you, said that, you know, get or maybe it was Draymond Green that said it oh yeah yeah get this man off of Phoenix out of Phoenix Uh. right and I think that's when Phoenix kind of realized you know if that talk starts brewing and there starts to be a little bit of tampering involved with other players because people know what a stud he is 
you know, then what is Phoenix? So I think that is what this pick showed us, that they understand that there is that kind of existential threat of Devin Booker leaving, which would just crush the Suns. So that kind of leaves me... Yeah, that would that'd be. I that'd would be have rough. to switch allegiances. There we go. That would be the end of my Phoenix Suns. <laughs> so I, I guess, what what this all kind of brings up with this draft pick is, and we can really speculate about this is, what is the plan for mm-hmm. the Suns? What is their ultimate goal? Is it right now to try to almost make a run? You know, get that fifth seed, uh, knock someone off, and try to make it to the Western Conference Finals. I'm trying to see what that game plan is. Cause when I was watching and paying attention to the draft, I was like, I thought just like you, I was like, Oh, they're going to get obviously a point guard to, to back up Chris Paul to, you know, dish the ball around. You know, I had Cole Anthony ideas going around in my head and different things like that. And then they obviously went with a big man and I'm just questioning what is their plan? Is it win now? Is it win in the future? Or what are your general thoughts yeah. on that front? I'll tell you what I think may be the motive. I, I think the Suns have been playing chess while other teams have been playing checkers. Okay. Once James Jones stepped in and became, you know, the head of our team and our organization, I think he's been a genius. You know, he got Ariza, swapped Ariza for Ubre, got Saric, you know, started building, you know, the basis. But what I think is most important about this Chris Paul trade is if the Suns make the playoffs this year, we already know that 2021, that that free agent group, is arguably the best free agency class in the past five, six years. Yes. In names like Giannis, if the Suns can make a serious push in the playoffs, show that they're a win-now capable team, then they're going to attract free agents like Giannis. Those are going to be teams. Right. Players are going to be forced to consider the Suns as a possible destination. Right. And so if you win now, you show that you have the core. If you have, even if Chris Paul is not even an all-star level player in the next three years, if but if they make the playoffs, players like Giannis are going to see that they're one piece away. Yes. And he is the piece, you know, and they're going to feel like, okay, Phoenix is a team that, I actually have to consider now. And in the past, when the Suns were 10th, 12th in the West, why would teams consider? They wouldn't because they want to win. We've already talked about that. Players want to go where they will win and where they will feel important to winning. Mm -hmm. And so that's why if they win, if they make the playoffs this year, they become a free agency destination for 2021. Right. They're set. And there's a lot of money to be had there. And I, I think one thing that, is great is big free agents the honest of the world can look at that and they know they can step in and assume that superstar role mm-hmm. so it isn't like a team where there's, there's this bona fide mvp of course booker's there but booker is a player that's also easy to play with you know yeah. you're not it wouldn't be like we talked about Harden joining the nets where there are not superstars there it, it's yeah and even the structure outside of the personality as far as a superstar can come and assume the role of a superstar without having to back off. So Giannis could join Phoenix and not have to become a different version of Giannis. Yeah, and we saw I that. This, yeah, exactly. The and as far as as far know, as AD joining, AD stayed himself. 
AD played some yeah. of his best basketball last year. LeBron also. Both of them were MVP candidates. You can have two mm-hmm. MV, MVP candidates on the same team. It, it works if you have the right yeah. chemistry. Yeah, and I think it also goes down to player personality too. I think Devin Booker's personality, as far as the way they play, the player that they are, reminds me almost a lot of Steph Curry. I'm not drawing exact comparisons, but I think Devin Booker is a fantastic player to play with. And I think people gravitate to go play with him because Devin Booker doesn't need to be ISO every, mm. every single time, you know, yeah. he can create his own shot. He can, he's a kind of an underrated passer in that light as well. And I think that's something that Steph Curry does as well. And just having that attitude of Devin Booker, honestly, doesn't, need the limelight you know he doesn't strive to be the most popular player on the planet you know he's he's not in everyone's face yeah he doesn't have a thousand instagram posts or anything like that and i think that's something that players are drawn to thinking you know he's not going to steal the show or anything like that you know he's not trying to make a whole bunch of noise he's trying to go in there do his job and do it to the best of his ability so i think i think you're right in the fact that the Suns are really positioning themselves to be a hot spot for other superstars to come be interested. And I think they're going to make a lot of noise in the coming future. Plus they've got decent amount of draft picks and different things like that. But as far as the Suns, I do think, I mean, you talked about all the good things. I do think we have to talk about the cons. We did lose probably our, one of our favorite players in the Suns to watch, uh, kind of Mr. Swag himself with unbelievable bounce who is not afraid to dunk on anyone and just had some one probably one of the greatest highlight reels last year. Oh and yeah that was losing Kelly Oubre. And I'm interested now, so Kelly Oubre, if you didn't know for people that are listening, is he's now on the Warriors. And the Warriors, I, I think we should talk about them as well because they obviously had that devastating loss to Clay. And that that is off. You know, when I see it, Clay is someone that I think everyone roots everyone for. You can't not like Clay. He is such a genuine, nice guy. It's just him, his dog, just li- living their best life. And I think also I went to Gonzaga for a year. He went to Washington State, and those two schools are pretty well connected. And it's just a matter of, you know, you can't not like him. He's never it's hard not to like clay. So that was an awful loss for the Warriors. What I saw, when I saw that there, I, it sounds bad, but I really just saw, I was like, well, I, they can't really win now because he's such an integral pure player. He, yeah. I mean, the splash bros when together are the, still probably the best backcourt yeah. in the league, but losing clay hurts. You lose you lose one of the best shooters in the league. You lose one of the best defensive wing or defensive guards in the league. And so once I saw that, I was like, they, they can't, they can't win at all. They still can't like, right. They, they can't, they're, they're right. still going to be, I, I still think they will be a playoff team. I still think they'll be competitive because Curry, I still think is probably one of the top point guards in the league. I think he might be the best right. point guard in the league still. Um, yeah. That being said, losing clay, made me sad even as a Suns fan who doesn't always want to see the Warriors be the best in the division right. or the league it's it sucks because as a basketball fan that sucks but bringing right. in Ubre was smart I'm curious to see how him and Wiggins are going to play together because they both kind of have similar play styles honestly I think yeah. Ubre might be better than Andrew Wiggins like I, I really do that 
That's what I was going to talk about. Cause w- when I saw this, I thought of Andrew Wiggins and I'm thinking, you know what I think the Warriors are doing? Cause I think they're going to keep one of them. Oh, yeah. I think this is going to be a little test trial. I think they're going to run them and see who's going to be the best. And I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who's going to fit the best. And you may have a point with saying that Ubre might be more desirable for the Warriors or in general than Andrew Wiggins. I think he plays with more of a chip on his shoulder. I think he's a great defender. He shot pretty well from three last year. Mm-hmm. He great slasher dunked on everyone obviously that's andrew wiggins you know brent butter is driving yeah. and dunking he shoots f- pretty well um but i don't think he plays with the same level of competitiveness that Ubre does that being said i don't know what uh wiggins contracts looking like does he have a year left too because i know Ubre, this is his last year and so i think the warriors will be in position to re-sign him if they like him um yeah Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, the Warriors have enough money that it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, either players, it's not going to be a max deal. Although they gave up a lot for Ubre, I think eighty-three million dollars. Holy crap! Yeah, the Warriors have a ton of money. So I just saw it as what what it also showed me with getting Ubre. Because once I saw Clay Thompson, I was heard. I was thinking like, should they tank again? And that's kind of the first thing I thought. But then. With Steph, you can't tank. Steph on a bad night is still going to make sure they win. Yeah, and they got so Wiseman. I, they're not going to do that. They did, yes. So that also, that wasn't too unexpected. But once I saw they had Wiseman and then with Clay, I was like, oh, this is this is going to be a good team. You know, thinking beforehand, I think Clay got hurt before the draft. It was like yeah, that but day. But it was, and it, was an, it was a question of whether or not it would be a season-ending injury. Right, they hadn't had the MRI yet or anything. Yeah. But Wiseman, he's a – I don't know if he'll ever be, you know he, – he's a high floor, sort of slightly lower ceiling player than, you know, like a Lomelo Ball mm-hmm. or Anthony Edwards in the sense that, it, it, you know, he's a dominant interior force offensively, defensively, but we'll have to see what his offensive ability is. It's a league where you need to be able to space um yeah so if he can start you know develop a jumper i think he'll be he'll be stud i think honestly i think he's kind of like an aiden maybe more aggressive aiden but with worse shooting so i'm curious yeah. to see wiseman yeah i mean i really think though it was exactly what the warriors needed you know i think everyone's talking about oh this draft isn't so bad i almost feel like wiseman was just handcrafted for the warriors yeah the warriors are in such a unique position to be picking at number two but have such studs in their locker room and that was something that once wiseman went to them i was like this fits perfectly you know they've never had a real true in his prime all-star at center yeah and at, at least during the run and yeah i mean one thing i do question is yeah they they had zaza on there and they still won won. (laughs) so it'll be interesting to see you know they obviously got now an athletic center and it'll be interesting to see how steve kerr works with that and i think it'll work you know i trust steve kerr as a coach and i think he brings great athleticism to the team and more than anything they just need a body to go up against two people Jokic and ad i'm talking in the west here and I think with Wiseman's size, Wiseman, yeah, Aiden as well, uh, Wiseman's ability, I think he can 
starts to slow down AD a little bit. But again, this is all speculation. This dude yeah. played what three games yeah, we at have Memphis? No How clue. Much? He was no a risk, idea. He was a risky. He was a risky pick because his sample size was so small. But it, I mean, it paid homage, or it paid it worked um, when you know Cavs drafted Kyrie. I mean, he only played a few games in college, but right. Even the 76ers with Embiid taking that risk of or MPJ, injured. Michael Porter Jr. I mean, he played like what three games for Mizzou and then boom, and he's been a stud. So, right, risk, yeah. high no, risk, I'm, high reward type of type of decision. So, and I and I think it's not even that crazy of a risk because I think we know he's a good player. You I know, see this him. isn't this isn't taking you know some random player who you know you hope he's good. You know, we know he's gonna be a starting caliber player in the yeah. NBA. Even if he's not an all-star, yeah. And that's what's great, I think, for him. You know, if, if I'm any player in this draft, that's probably who I'd want to be the most. You know, you are going to a great, great, all-time smart franchise. And just, they'll do such a good job of really training you and helping you grow. You know, I would, I, I think out of everyone in this entire thing, I would probably least want to be LaMelo Ball going to, going to Charlotte. But mm-hmm. should we just talk about the draft? I feel like we're yeah, dancing around it. We'll just, jump we'll, just right talk, in. we'll just quickly run through some. We're not going to you know, go through every pick. Anthony Edwards, so, no clue. I have no clue. <laughs> no surprise there. I mean, no he, everyone kind of said that like, oh, this is an up in the air draft. We never know where anyone's going to go. But then in almost every mock draft, aside from a few that were purely on ceiling, it was Anthony Edwards. I think just this guy's build his body that he has on him is just insane you know he is an it's NBA yeah. player right now and you know I don't see this really changing anything in Minnesota we know very little about him he was an absolute beast at Georgia and I think he'll be fine you know I I'm yeah. fine he's good he'll be good I, think I don't see this be a first first pick caliber of like a Markel Fultz you know, I don't know if you'll, I mean, maybe Markel Fultz was more upside. I think Markel Fultz could have been a lot better if it wasn't for injuries and stuff like that. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe he'll be an all-star. I hope right. he proves me wrong. Like I hope, you know, generational talent, but you know, he gets the comparisons to James Harden and play style, but I don't think he has a James Harden ceiling. You know, I think he's, he's a high floor, lower ceiling. You know, I don't think he is the best prospect in the draft. I think honestly, highest ceiling is in my opinion, LaMelo. Um, right but lowest floor <laughs> lowest floor yeah he could, he could really be terrible he shot terribly in professionally but but yeah so edwards we'll see i think we're just going to see still yeah you know, i minnesota i've mixed feelings about their roster I, I don't know if they i don't trust minnesota also to really develop make him the best that yeah. he possibly can and develop into the player that he can be i think minnesota has all their eyes on Carl anthony towns that's their main focus and it's just it seems like an organization in limbo you know carl anthony towns will make sure they're never at the you know the absolute worst team here on out especially with anthony edwards and cat together you and know D-Lo. they probably yeah and Zilo too you know they're not going to be picking you know the top pick again likely they'll be at the end end ish of the lottery and i just don't know where they're going what their plans are i wouldn't be the happiest if I'm a Minnesota fan right now, just because I don't know what they're doing. It could work. Yeah. We small sample size with D'Lo and Cat. Be curious. I don't think, I think that's a very suspect defensive team. I think D'Lo and Cat have never been good defensive players. 
Um, so I think that will be interesting. I, you know, I don't know enough about Anthony Edwards to be able to yeah. speculate. Um, but to me, he's, he's high floor, lower ceiling, but then we yeah. talked about Wiseman. Wiseman, I think he'll be a stud. LaMelo, I hope LaMelo is so good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I found myself rooting for LaMelo probably cause I love his brother. Um, yeah. I think and he was heading our way to UCLA for a little while there. Damn when he was LeVar. like three. <laughs> Damn it, LeVar. LeVar really messed up there. That being said, yeah. I think if he never develops a shot, I think that's okay because he's a fantastic facil- facilitator. Being a six seven point guard is, you know, we saw we see it when Giannis runs point. It works. So if he can develop yeah. that jumper, I think he'll be a, a, an all-star caliber player. Um, yeah, I think – Lamelo, it's the right position. So Mello needs the ball, and I think Charlotte is an organization where it's his team now. Yeah. You know, he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. And I think for him, what we want to see is just slightly more aggression, a little more defense, and a little more into the game. I think what was always kind of a knack against him was he always looked somewhat like a lazy player, you know, he wasn't always driving to the baskets. And a lot of it were same criticisms that Lonzo had coming out of college. And it'll be interesting to see how the prospects are, I guess right here, right now, here's kind of an interesting question. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Lonzo or LaMelo? And this is guaranteeing you that LaMelo isn't going to be the worst version of himself. It depends. You know, it's tough. I think it comes down to who's surrounding them. If you're okay. if you're a team like, like I guess in the Pelicans, you're gonna want Lonzo. You're gonna want someone who can be. Honestly, I still think Lonzo has All Star caliber, you know, potential. Yes, he yeah, hasn't as well. reached his full potential. He's de- his shots getting better and better. He's a great defender. He's a great rim, you know, rim runner. He's a great passer. And so, you know, even if his career highs are fifteen, eight, and eight, you know, that's incredible you know right if you can get eight rebounds eight assists, we saw that his rookie year he had 10 7 and 7 last year he had 11 yeah. 7 and 6 or something so yeah i mean put up you know 15 16 a night keep doing what you're doing keep playing great defense i would still rather have lonzo that being said yeah i think Lamelo has higher offensive upside but i don't think he'll ever be the defensive player that lonzo is and i think that's why lonzo is mm-hmm. more critical to his team now. But that being said, yeah. no clue for the future. Yeah, I think if I had to buy stock in one of them, I'd probably still go Lonzo because I, I know who he is in the mm-hmm. NBA. I know how he fits, and I know what I'm getting out of him. With Lamelo, I really have no idea. You know, he didn't go. In, yeah, he's been all over the place. He didn't play college, and usually college, he would go up against elite, elite prospects. So he went pro. He went and played in Australia, where the average caliber of a player is going to be a lot better. Like these are these are men. Uh, but college, he didn't go against. By not going to college, he didn't go up against really elite prospects. Obviously, same as Lonzo coming out. They each have very weird shots. Lonzo kind of came across his body and Melo just kind of shot puts it from his chest. Yeah. And neither of these, I think, are shots that are going to work when you get someone that is 6'9", 6'10", on top of you. You know, you've got to try to get over him. We've seen Lonzo fix his shot. And he he shot pretty well. He shot 35% or something last year, 36%, which is pretty solid. Um, Mm -hmm. But 
Lonzo shot better out of out of college than Lamelo. Lamelo came shot twenty five percent from three in yeah. Australia. You know that's right, and that's something terrible. that worried me. That's terrible. Um, so I'm not sold on a shooting. If he can get that number up, then I think it'll yeah. Be but I mean, it is. I do think we have to credit in this case. You got to credit Levar Ball as well. You know, I think what what's amazing is. He has these two kids, and Jell is a good player in himself. If he had handled himself a little bit better in China, he'd be maybe still on our team. Anywho, <laughs> so we've got two players who selected them. So the, the head of basketball operations was Magic Johnson selecting Lonzo Ball, mm-hmm. and now it is Michael Jordan. So it just goes to show that these players have really high IQs with them, and they're talking about the same thing on ESPN as far as, you know, the caliber that these two are at. And I think one thing that I want to touch upon that you mentioned and you go a little bit deeper into and kind of explain a little bit was you mentioned that you're like, I don't know why, but I just root for him so much, probably because of his brother. I think a large reason is we've seen LaMelo grow up. You know, I remember back in high school watching, highlights of him as this little freshman he still yeah. had a large gap in his teeth he was still young he had a little baby face the He's a freshman running out there with chino hills with jello and lonzo and we saw him become probably one of the most famous teenagers in the world you know he has a larger following than most nba players i don't know how many followers he has now he's got to have like almost five million or something i haven't yeah. checked but I mean, we watched him all along and it's like, I wonder what's going to happen, speculating about him. And I mean, of course, we're going to root for him for that reason, among any other reasons. But I think Charlotte will be fine. You know, it'll allow him the ability to be his best version of himself. I don't see him really turning the needle anywhere there, too. I think the only time where a franchise really, really helped themselves of these top three is probably with James Wiseman. That filled a hole that they needed Charlotte, this felt more like, finally, we may get some fans in the seats. Yeah, they have too many. Charlotte has too many holes for them to matter about which one gets plugged. It becomes which talent, what's the best talent available. And so that's, yeah. with Warriors, I they mean, they had an apparent gap at center. And so they filled that. And so, you know, that, that yeah. that's what happens when teams have injuries and they have bad seasons and they end up getting lottery picks is that they have clear needs. So... Yeah, I think one thing that's hard there, and Charlotte's probably like, oh, man, was the one player that started being a stud for them at the end of the season was Devontae Graham. (laughs) That's a point guard. It's like, ah, why couldn't it have been one of our other guys? Uh, But obviously, you know, it doesn't really feel like that Terry Bergier project worked out. You know, I think they were hoping for something from there. He's a better six-man than anything, I think. So I think if if they can utilize him as a six-man, put Devontae Graham at the two maybe, or LaMelo at the two, um, you know, they, they have some good young studs, you know, uh, Bridges is young, Miles yeah. Bridges. He's young. He's good. Malik, uh, shoot. What's his name? Uh, bu- 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 damn it. PJ Washington. PJ Washington's good, but, uh, shoot, oh, I Luke saw Monk. Malik Monk. Malik Monk. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he's solid too. I remember watching Malik Monk in uh, college. Nicholas Batum is a good leader. I actually saw Nicholas Batum the on Rodeo man. Drive, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. He's one of the love a good French that... guy. <laughs> we do, yeah. So he's he's holding it down for the, the French speaking players. But as far as you know, I don't see Charlotte making that much noise in the future. Do you think they should have maxed 
Kemba Walker? No. Yeah. They got it out of him, but they could. I think they were wise to let him go um, and start, you know, rebuilding. But yeah, going back to the draft, I mean, nothing really else. Curious to see how Obi Toppin is. You know, we know he can dunk. Right. Yeah, Don't I saw know. New York take him. Yeah, I'm glad, you know, he was happy about that. I think Denny Avija, uh, the guy, Washington, the Israeli kid, I think yeah, he'll be good. Me. But, you know, there's always that question of international players. They could be Luka Doncic or they can be Dragon Bender. So, yeah. And there was a lot of talk of him, you know, of course, pre draft, there's a bunch of speculation as far as, you know, especially with foreign prospect, because there's much big question marks over them. You know, what is their true talent level? Mm-hmm. I think this was something, you know, we heard the Warriors, like they loved his workout. Of course, you never know if you can take it, if it's real or Smoke not. Screen but, or not, yeah. You know, we'll see how it is. He, he's one of the most accomplished draft picks as far as, you know, playing at an elite level, the accolades that have came with that. And we'll see. Yeah, a lot of international picks in this draft. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know what? I know we're, we're running pretty long on this episode, so I think what we should do next is we should just... <laughs> I think quickly, we expected that. Yeah, yeah. We should quickly run through some of the other free agency and and trades. Um, I think we've done justice to the draft in terms of the picks that I think most yeah. people are concerned with. Concerned with. But let's talk yeah. quickly about the Lakers. I think they've made, as much as it pains me to say... They've made two huge offseason acquisitions. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder was probably the first move of this offseason that people saw. Um, OKC is just racking up first-round picks, racking up. They are, they are <laughs> there are really so many memes. When like, everyone else is playing just, checkers, they're going to be ooh, drafting. Yeah, Sam Pressy, man. Yeah, Press, respect. They're like but. drafting people that are like in middle school right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, like kindergartners are already like signed, like ready, ready to go to OKC. Um, yeah, so Schroeder, huge. You know, he had a huge season for for uh, OKC. But then last night, what's even more shocking and uh, as much and it pains me because the Lakers getting stronger just makes the West rougher is Trez Harrell. Trez Harrell, Montrez mm-hmm. Harrell, six man of the year. So, so they acquired the six man of the year and the second, the runner up six man of the year. So yeah. they have the, the death lineup of Dennis Schroeder, Wesley Matthews, LeBron James, Montrez Harrell, and Anthony Davis. That, that is a death lineup. That is and they didn't lineup. give up much. Yeah. They're losing Dwight crazy. Howard and Rondo. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Old. Do you, I mean, I've heard a lot of things about, you know, if Rondo goes to the Clippers, that obviously makes them the number one. Do you do you fall in line with that? Do you think that no. that shifts the needle there? No, I don't think th- the Clippers have not done anything in this offseason to improve the team. I think one is the chemistry will – the better chemistry will make them a better team for next year. Yeah. That being said, they had some apparent gaps in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Losing Trez Harrell hurts. They still have Lou Williams off the bench, but now their bench, you know, has some depth issues. They have an apparent point guard issue. The fact that Patrick Beverly cannot, you know, consistently score makes it difficult for Paul George um, and Kawhi Leonard. They Mm -hmm. have, you know, some center issues. They got Zubac, but Zubac, he's fine. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think losing Trez Harrell is really, really going to hurt. Um, the Clippers and I think 
that that shocked me that he just went to the Lakers. I didn't. That wasn't on my radar. Yeah, I that, that, that wasn't expected at all. I mean, it shocked Patrick Beverly. Um, yeah, I saw all the tweets. But Lakers got stronger. Clippers got weaker. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I do think the apparent flaw that was with the Clippers was they didn't have a point guard that could facilitate an offense and distribute the ball necessary when it was necessary. And I think Rondo could do that. I think Rondo proved that, you know, maybe not so much in the regular season, but playoff Rondo is for sure a real thing. And I think I'd give a little bit more of an edge to the Clippers if they got Rondo, not necessarily an edge over the Lakers, but just uh, there'll be a better version of themselves. And if, you know, you can get people like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard at their best with Rondo facilitating the ball. I think that looks like a championship team to me. I don't know. I still, I think, I think losing the bench depth is really going to kill the Clippers. Um, I mean, Trez Harrell played, you know, with that, with that mentality, with the competitiveness, we saw him taking it to the rack consistently. Um, right. I, I still think even with Rondo, uh, the Clippers are going to be worse this offseason. But I think they, I mean, Tres Harrell is putting up 19 a night. So automatically, yeah. and Rondo, I think starting Rondo maybe gets you 9, 10 a night max. Maybe now even fewer points. Um, yeah. So losing 20 points, 10, 15 points a night, I think without making any notable acquisitions i think will weaken i still think they're you know a contender Um, yeah but we'll see and yeah yeah we'll see but some other teams that have made some some moves we got the drew holiday to the bucks which i think was really smart for the bucks um drew holiday is a much better eric bledsoe he plays better Mm -hmm. defense he's scoring 20 a night and the Pelicans um, got a lot for him. You know, I, yeah. this was not an uneven steal. No, no, no. I Honestly, the Pelicans probably won the trade in terms of uh, future reward, future benefit. Um, right. And the Pelicans made another trade and got freaking Steve, Steven Adams. So the Pelicans. Yes. I still don't know, you know. I still I have mixed feelings about the Pelicans. I think they have some growth to do in terms of there's a lot of question marks, you know, can Brandon Ingram sustain this? You know, is this a fluke season where he's on his own? He's able to shoot that freely. Can he keep that up? What really is Zion? Yeah. You know, who is he? How, you know, is he this star player or is he just going to be this really dominant kind of Blake Griffin 2.0? And then finally, who is Lonzo ball? You know, who is he really? Is he someone that, can facilitate an offense and can you run an offense through him or is he just someone with brilliant passing a great iq that can get it to shooters so i think they're gonna have to find their identity there yeah i think that's honestly we're just gonna have to wait and see don't know yeah i i don't even i can't even speculate um because i don't know but right uh another team let's talk about hmm Oh, um, Gordon Hayward was a big acquisition. Uh, I saw that. That's a lot of money. It, I was just like, okay. He did uh, not play well in Boston. No, he didn't play well in Boston. I think they never got the Gordon Hayward that they wanted to, obviously. Yeah. I, I didn't know if they should have given that more time. Uh, it just kind of seems like they're moving on. And 
Gordon Hayward to the Hornets doesn't change the Hornets. I mean, okay, Lamella he, Ball. He's not what he used leader. to be. He, he's not, you know, he's not the All Star that he was when he was in the Jazz. He's still good, still really good. And if he can stay healthy, but I think he lost a lot of his athleticism with injuries and age. Um, yeah. If he can shoot well, still, I think it'll be nice pairing and good veteran presence for Lamelo. But nothing, yeah. you know, nothing to write at home about. Um, we already right. talked about Kelly Oubre. Um, John Wall wants out, but we can't really tell you. Who is John Wall? And like, uh, another guy. We haven't seen John Wall in the court in like three years, basically. No, it feels like he retired. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to think. Let me, let me, you know, let me just uh, peruse Woj's Instagram and I can tell you anything <laughs> else I see. The hardest part for me is I feel like it's always a test when he's oh. describing the. Oh, Calvin. Oh, I was on Rondo to the Hawks. There you go. Uh, so we went for the money. Yeah. He went for the money. They probably gave him a bag. Yeah. But we saw the Pistons signed just about everyone and their mother. None of them were big names. Yeah, I saw they got Josh, Josh Jackson. Jackson. Good riddance, <laughs> bro. Good riddance. You can have Josh Jackson. They, they, they pretty much picked up all the draft busts, right? Yeah, the Hawks are trying to win now, though, I think. You know, they got Danilo Gallinari, which was a huge signing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get Rondo. Um, so they're making some making some big moves. Um, Interesting. Anything else that I'm trying to see here? Cantor to the Blazers. Nothing to write home about. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been Mason, there before. <laughs> Mason, yeah. Jordan Clarkson got a bag. He got four years, $52 million to stay in Utah, which... Uh, okay <laughs> yeah Clark Clarkson's an interesting guy I never really know what to think yeah, about him he played well he played well last year but you know he, on the Lakers he, had, he showed so much promise and then unfortunately he's just right. bounced around too much to really develop um, yeah solidify it Davis Bertans you know the Wizards the guy who just lights out he got a bag he got five years 80 million dollars for Damn. a guy who didn't even make you know, all-star game. If John Wall can come back some semblance of him, I think Wizards should be better. Not that that that's hard to do when you're the worst yeah. almost. Yeah. But I have I have faith in uh, my fellow Gonzaga person of Rui Hachimura. Yeah, he's good. So and, and I, then uh, Avija, Denny Avija, that's a big pickup. So yeah, I like Rui too. Yeah, the Hawks are just collecting guards. They got Chris Dunn as well. We forget forget about that. Um, so they got Rondo and Chris Dunn. Um, so that okay. was, and then DJ Augustine also signed with Milwaukee. So now they have their backup point guard. So Drew Holiday okay. and then backup point guard is DJ Augustine. And DJ Augustine has played very good basketball in, in the recent years for Orlando. He was a pretty highly, you know, highly wanted. Yeah, that uh, must have been because Orlando got Cole Anthony. Yeah. They got so their point. They got that. Fultz and Cole Anthony. So they got two young guards who they obviously they're not in a position to win now. They didn't make any notable offseason moves. Um, right. So I think they're now in sort of tank and develop mode. Um, yeah. So yeah, saying. that's really that's pretty much every notable offseason okay. move. I think. I think we've really we talked about the. Um, well, I guess we can talk about how Al Horford is now. Um, on OKC, right? No. Did you move over? No. I don't know. Where yes, I'm yes. Al Horford is OKC, yeah. and Danny Green. Oh, that's what Philly. Philly made some smart moves. Philly got Danny Green, 
and Seth Curry. So they and made they made some yeah, and Dwight Howard. So they got some good um, shooting, which last year we yeah. Saw. Why did Dallas let Seth Curry go for almost nothing? That's what I didn't get. Yeah, Seth I thought played that really Seth well. Curry was an absolute asset for them. Yeah, I don't know why they did what they did. I got to look into it more. But you know, when I, my first reaction, I was like, why on earth did Dallas do that? Yeah, Dallas and Dallas did again. There's another team that's been pretty quiet this offseason. Um, for a team mm-hmm. that you know made the playoffs, but didn't really make moves once they hit the playoffs. You know, you'd think yeah. that they'd be trying to search for that missing piece. You know, they got Luca, they got KP, but who else do they have on that team? Like they really, they lost Delon Wright, um, who was a good like two-way guard on their team. They lost Seth Curry. So they've lost some depth and they haven't really done anything to get more depth. I mean, they, they made it obvious Luca's their guy. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, over because it was a question of like, are we going to build around Luca or Chris Dapps? Not that it was a big debate, but they they know that Luca is the man. They're going to build around that. You know, they're not going to. They don't really need shooting necessarily, which I guess goes to show why they let Seth Curry go. But I th- I think Seth Curry is a really really good player that obviously is a shadow in the limelight of uh, Mr. Steph Curry. But I think he. This is a great pickup for the 76ers. Being undrafted, yeah, Seth Seth has had a really good career. I think if the 76ers now with Daryl Morey could get some package for James Harden, I think that'd be pretty impressive. Although for me, I actually like Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid. But if you could do a swap Ben Simmons, James Harden, I think that would make them better next year. I I don't think that would make them better. What? I still like JoJo, Joe Embiid. I still like him, I think, more than Ben Simmons, just because really? I think I think he brings more to the offense. I think Ben Simmons' inability to space without being able to shoot really hurts the team. If Ben Simmons develops a jump shot, sure, he's better than Joel Embiid. But I still think Joel brings more to the team defensively and offensively. I mean, he, he can score 30 a night, get 20 rebounds, and, and get four blocks. And Ben Simmons, he can pass, he can run the floor, he can get rebounds, but he can't, he can't be the yeah. same. You know, he's not going to average 30 points a night. I would love to see Ben Simmons get out of the point guard role and then get a pure point guard in there that could shoot. It doesn't even have to be fantastic, I think, with Ben Simmons and Embiid. But I I see what the 76ers are doing. They're getting shooters. And I think that's why this Seth Curry pickup is going to be so good and why it was so confusing as to why they let J.J. Reddick go. And I think that's was something they were like, yeah, probably shouldn't have let one of our only three-point shooters go because now we have no three-point shooters. Josh Richardson and Josh Richardson was very underwhelming for them Uh, and so now they got like really three-point players. Josh, Josh Richardson was like a three and D player, but he was mostly D last year and not as much three. And so now yeah. they get exclusively three-point shooters. And I, I think that'll, that'll bring good depth. I'm curious to see though, what their starting lineup is going to be like. Are they going to start Seth? Are they going to, you know? Yeah, or have him come off. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, we'll I see think, what happens. I think in terms of uh, length of this podcast to spare people from I, mean, I think probably, so too. We probably lost most people about 30 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> if you are still here, thank you. An award. <laughs> if you are still here, you are eligible for a coupon for uh for future merch. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh man. But yeah, All right. this is a fun one. Close it out. Yeah, this is a fun one. I think it was good. I think we expected it to be long, lots to talk about, and I'm sure we're gonna have a lot more come in the coming weeks as teams 
the dust starts to settle a little bit, then we can make a little bit better predictions and stuff. I think next time we can make predictions about standings and different things like that. But I think this was something that we had, there was a lot going on that we just had to dump out there and I hope we did it justice. Yep. All right. Well, we'll uh, see you guys next time. All right. See you in episode nine. Thank you.